This is the LexisNexis New York Legal News Podcast. Litigation news stories from New York courts as reported in recent issues of LexisNexis Mealies. Current and targeted legal news and litigation reports. In a 4-3 opinion issued October 21st regarding two separate actions, the New York Court of Appeals ruled that lawsuits against third parties who are negligent or who engage in actions that assist in a corporation's wrongdoing to the detriment of shareholders and creditors are not permitted under New York law. The Court of Appeals issued its ruling in the two actions in response to eight certified questions issued by the Second Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals and another certified question issued by the Delaware Supreme Court. The Court of Appeals said, quote, Why should the interests of innocent stakeholders of corporate fraudsters trump those of innocent stakeholders of the outside professionals who are the defendants in these cases? The costs of litigation and any settlements or judgments would have to be borne in the first instance by the defendants' blameless stakeholders, in the second instance by the public, end of quote. In a sense, the Court said, the plaintiff's proposals may be viewed as creating a double standard, whereby the innocent stakeholders of the corporation's outside professionals are held responsible for the sins of their errant agents, while the innocent stakeholders of the corporation itself are not charged with knowledge of their wrongdoing agents. The Motors Liquidation Company, formerly known as General Motors Corporation, or Old GM, entered into a proposed settlement agreement in the Southern District of New York Bankruptcy Court October 19th with the United States, 14 states, and a Native American tribe in which the company would pay $773 million to resolve environmental liabilities under the Comprehensive Environmental Response, Compensation, and Liability Act, the Resource Conservation and Recovery Act, and state environmental laws. Under the terms of the agreement, Old GM will pay approximately $641 million and contribute an estimated $120 million worth of non-cash assets for the cleanup and administration of 89 properties and sites, 59 of which are known to have been contaminated by hazardous wastes. According to a press release from the U.S. Department of Justice on the agreement, the company has already spent $11.5 million toward the cleanup of properties with known contamination during the pendency of its bankruptcy proceeding. The majority of the funds from the settlement will go toward the cleanup of sites in Michigan and New York. A long-standing dispute over Plavix has resulted in a $442 million damage award to Sanofi Aventis. The amount represents 50% of defendants Apotex Incorporated's net sales of a generic equivalent drug over a three-week period in August 2006. Southern District of New York Judge Sidney Stein furthermore found an award of prejudgment interest is warranted. Sanofi Aventis filed a complaint in 2002 alleging infringement of a patent by Apotex's manufacture and delivery of a generic equivalent drug. Before the trial in which it was found the patent was infringed, the parties entered into a settlement that would govern the award of damages should Sanofi prevail. Judge Stein recalled the sides agreed that Apotex enjoyed net sales of more than $884 million during the brief period of time they flooded the market with the generic equivalent and that Sanofi would be entitled to 50% of those sales. The Port Authority of New York and New Jersey has agreed to pay $47.5 million to settle the claims of more than 9,000 claimants in the World Trade Center disaster site litigation. The Port Authority is not a party to the $716 million settlement agreement approved June 23rd. 
That money will be paid from the World Trade Center Captive Settlement Fund. The Port Authority Board of Commissioners has yet to approve the settlement, which applies to claimants with injuries as first responders or while working on the rubble pile at the site of the World Trade Center tower collapse. Some $509,000 of the settlement fund is allocated to administer the settlement distribution. Counsel for the plaintiffs will receive 25% of the settlement fund. The settlement with the Port Authority will adopt the same criteria for injuries and severity as adopted in the captive settlement agreement. A federal judge in New York in an October 26th consent judgment permanently enjoined the popular peer-to-peer -peer site LimeWire from operating. LimeWire delivered news of its shutdown to would-be users in a message posted on its official website. Downloading or sharing copyrighted content without authorization is illegal, LimeWire conceded. In August 2006, a group of 13 record labels sued LimeWire for massive and daily infringement of their copyrighted works. LimeWire developed and distributed software that, like similar P2P networks, allows its users to seek out and download songs and other works from the computers of other LimeWire users. The plaintiffs called LimeWire the successor in infringement to previously sued P2P networks such as Grokster, Kazaa, and Napster, which the labels blame for eroding music sales through authorized retail outlets. In a May ruling, Judge Kimball Wood sided with the labels on summary judgment, agreeing that the defendant overwhelmingly facilitated the widespread infringement by its users. To that end, the plaintiffs assert, and LimeWire admits, that since July 2008, the LimeWire client software has been downloaded more than 50 million times alone, bringing total downloads to more than 300 million. The terms of the permanent injunction require LimeWire to disable its service completely, barring users from searching, downloading, or file trading on the LimeWire network. For LexisNexis Legal News, I'm Mealy CyberTech Editor Mark Rogers. Finding the claimant in a personal injury case did not have a reasonable expectation of privacy in her online social networking posts. A New York State justice in September granted a defendant's motion to permit discovery of her postings per the, quote, liberal disclosure policy in New York State. Justice Jeffrey Arland Spinner of Suffolk County Supreme Court held that information posted by Kathleen Romano on her MySpace and Facebook pages was material and necessary to Steelcase Incorporated's defense of the claims against it and could potentially lead to admissible evidence. The justice held that any of Romano's privacy concerns are outweighed by the defendant's need for the information. Romano claimed she was injured after falling from an office chair made by Steelcase. She sued the furniture manufacturer for damages. A federal appeals court in New York October 7th found that a trial court prematurely dismissed a former employee's defamation claim based on online postings allegedly made by representatives of the television network MSNBC. In addition to reinstating the defamation claim brought by Claudia DeFalco, the Second Circuit also reinstated her breach of contract claim against MSNBC cable and related New York labor law claims. DeFalco said defamatory statements were posted on websites which reported she had resigned from MSNBC in the middle of her contract term. In reversing the dismissal of the breach of contract claim, the circuit court found that an email from DeFalco did not constitute a positive and unequivocal repudiation of her employment agreement. The panel noted DeFalco had expressed a desire to be part of the network's team for a long time to come, and her subsequent clarification that she did not resign in that email. As such, the panel found there were at least factual issues as to whether DeFalco intended to resign, reinstating and remanding the breach claim, as well as related state law claims. 
However, the panel affirmed dismissal of DeFalco's claim for torturous interference with prospective business relations against the network. International financial conglomerate Citigroup is accused in an October 13th class action lawsuit of denying female employees equal terms and conditions of employment compared to similarly situated male employees. In the case filed in the Southern District of New York, six women claimed that as a result of a boys' club culture, men dominate the senior ranks of Citigroup's management and executive positions. Plaintiffs referenced Citigroup's senior leadership committee, which is composed of 39 men and five women, while all 19 members of the company's executive committee are men. The plaintiffs claim the culture of discrimination filters down through the management ranks to affect all senior and junior level professional positions at Citigroup. According to the women, Citigroup ignores the alleged discriminatory practices and routinely subjects female employees to a pattern and practice of general discrimination. Citigroup's accused of compensating female employees less than similarly situated male employees and failing to offer female workers the same promotion opportunities. The Second Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals October 5th reversed summary judgment for the defendants in an auto accident case, concluding there were questions concerning who caused the crash that left the plaintiff injured. The panel pointed out that although it was sympathetic with the trial court's view that the weight of the evidence favors the defendant's explanation of how the accident occurred, it nonetheless concluded the evidence presented sufficient disputes where a jury could find in favor of the plaintiff. The New York Supreme Court Appellate Division October 5th reversed a trial court decision to deny summary judgment to a building owner named as the defendant in a premise liability action, concluding the plaintiff failed to show the defendant was aware of a defective condition in its apartments. Barbara Nelson sued Cunningham Associates in Queens County Supreme Court, alleging she was hurt while visiting her friend's apartment. Nelson claims that a kitchen cabinet door came off its hinges as she was trying to open it to put cups away. She brought a claim of negligence against the defendant. Cunningham moved for summary judgment, which the trial court denied. The defendant appealed to the appellate division's second department. Cunningham Associates' maintenance director testified at deposition that no complaints were ever received about the kitchen cabinet door. The defendant also produced an apartment inspection report that indicated there were no problems with those doors. Additionally, Nelson admitted she had visited the apartment approximately 50 times before the day of the accident and never had any problems with the kitchen cabinet door. The appeals panel reversed, noting Nelson failed to show that Cunningham Associates had actual or constructive notice of the allegedly defective condition. Visit the LexisNexis store for all your legal book and software needs. The store offers thousands of titles to help you in the practice of law and in managing the business of your legal practice. You can reach our e-commerce site by clicking on the Store tab at the top of the LexisNexis homepage or by going to LexisNexis.com store. If you'd like more information on these and other New York cases, visit LexisNexis.com slash Mealy's. LexisNexis Legal News New York, written by the editors of Mealy Publications, current and targeted legal news and litigation reports. The LexisNexis New York Legal News Podcast, copyright 2010 by LexisNexis, a division of Reed Elsevier Incorporated. LexisNexis. I'm Steve Bursler. Thank you for listening.